0: Welcome to episode 17 of the Ikario podcast. In this episode, we're talking about cults. In fact, we're talking about a very personal experience because, as it turns out, I used to be in a cult. Well, that's a bit oversimplified, but as you'll see as we get into the episode, you know, for the sake of simplicity, let's just say, for the sake of drama, let's just say that I escaped the clutches of a cult, albeit a relatively harmless one. And in this episode, we talk about my experience, seeing this from the inside. And the reason I wanted to make this the topic of today's episode is because as I am looking around, I'm seeing that my personal experience with seeing a cult from the inside seems to become more and more relevant. This experience taught me a lot about human nature, about human behavior. And about, you know, the flaws in human behavior in many ways. And like I said, it seems to be becoming more and more relevant. We're seeing cult-like behavior and cult-like messaging become more and more popular, more and more common. The most prominent example of this recently would be QAnon, I think, which is a conspiracy theory cult of a kind. And similarly, there are many other online communities, and I think this is a a result of social media bubbles, of information bubbles, where people can fall into these online bubbles of information that display a lot of cult qualities and cult behaviors. And so whether that is something like, you know, angry young men falling into some kind of a red pill, incel, alt-right kind of thing. There's a lot of culty stuff going on there. And then, you know, if we're it's often politicized. So, you know, on the other side, you can easily argue, well, on the other side, we have, you know, ultra-woke bubbles where people have to be punished and canceled out of existence for making the slightest mistake in a tweet 10 years ago, which is also, there's a lot of culty elements there. And in the discussion, in the general discussion, this is often talked about in terms of the political spectrum, which, sure, it can be useful, but I think it misses the greater point of, what the hell is going on here? Why is this happening? Why are we seeing more and more of this? And how can we recognize this and what can we do about it? So that's what we'll explore in this episode. I think if you listen to this, a lot of the irrational behavior that you see online, it won't seem necessarily less irrational, but it will make more sense. You'll understand why this happens. And you'll also understand how this can even happen to you and how to defend against it. You can find the show notes for this episode and also leave a comment or reply by going to ikario.com forward slash 017 for episode 17. That's ikario.com forward slash 017. And you can also click a link there to leave us a voice message. So, with that, let's dive into this topic. Here's episode 17.
1: Welcome to the Acario Podcast once again, where we help you optimize your life, break free from the human zoo, and become a force to be reckoned with. With your host once again, Ollie, and and I'm Shane, and I'm gesticulating more than usual for those that are watching the video because we're stood up now. Oh, you guys, you guys listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever, you can't you can't see this, but we're actually stood up because we're being healthy boys.
0: <laughs> You're missing out, You're missing out on the glorious image of us standing, what?
1: Yeah, it's just such an upgrade. Listen, you know? let's, get to, let's
0: get to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> what are we are talking about today, Shane? So, today, we're talking about what I learned about human nature from being in a cult. You were in a cult? Kind of, yeah, kind of. So, and this was really interesting. So, so let me explain. What happened is that when I was about 13, I joined a martial arts school that was teaching like kung fu self defense type stuff and i stayed with that school for about 10 years and over the course of 10 years this turned from a normal self defense martial arts type school into a pretty culty organization <laughs> and so so not only so i think it's it's extra interesting so uh, let me say i don't regret this at all i think it's I'm really glad that I've had this experience. Especially because I didn't just like join a cult. I joined a normal organization that turned into a cult. (laughs) That like slid into a cult. So
1: you could see the the transition.
0: Exactly. I could see it devolving over time. It's it's actually really fascinating. It's really fascinating. So I'm, I'm glad for this. And there is... I think there are some interesting lessons about human nature from this. And also, as we mentioned on a previous episode... I think that understanding how cults work and how can this happen, how can a, a bunch of reasonable people end up believing unreasonable things and doing unreasonable things, I think that is, it's important to know this as a basic um, factor of like mental self-defense. It's like you've got to have some mental self-defense, right? Otherwise, people are just going to take advantage of you. And understanding how cults work and why they work is one of those things. Cool. So, what I'd like to do is, we're gonna briefly talk about like the cult playbook, the how to how to create a cult playbook, the the some basic rules for how to do this, and this is stuff you'll see over and over again in in all kinds of cults. Um, and then I'll talk about my experience about how this happened, and, and like I said, like the lessons I learned from this.
1: Cool, because I've got some questions for you about how 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 actually. Um how the cult formed mm-hmm. and how you could like, when you notice this happen mm-hmm. but um yeah sure well i guess i'll ask you then if i wanted to create a cult yeah right now if i decided i wanted to create a cult and that was my goal what uh if there's a playbook then
0: what would mm-hmm. i what would i need to do so there's there's definitely things yeah there's like a playbook of of the things that always happen and you know let's also consider this is there are all kinds of cults and, and cult-like organizations forming all the time. And, you know, for example, QAnon is uh, an ideology, I guess, that has a lot of cult-like aspects to it. And so sometimes it can happen, like, organically. Many religions, the way religions are practiced, is, often has cult-like aspects to it. So it's also, I think it's important to see, there's like a spectrum here, you know, all that goes all the way from, um, you know, totally destructive, suicide-packed cult to just kind of oh, this is kind of harmless, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So the let me just go through a couple of of um the aspects of like the yeah how to form a cult playbook. So one of the aspects is that you want to have you want to get people to make. Progressively greater sacrifices or commitments to the cult. And this is a really important aspect. Where, so, an example of this is South Park famously at one point made an episode about Scientology where they basically said, look, what we're going to do is we are going to explain the, the, you know, the kind of the inner circle secret of what Scientologists believe. And we're not going to exaggerate anything. We're we're basically not going to make fun of this. We're just going to show you what it is that they believe. And that's the joke. And, and they believe this weird thing where, you know, some alien overlord banished a race of aliens and sent them, you know, strapped them to the volcanoes and nuked them or something. And the souls of those aliens are attached to humans. And that's and they cause all our problems, and Scientology uses this technology to remove those souls, something like that,
1: right? That that kind of stuff sounds like the writings of a science fiction writer, which, <laughs> strange, strangely strange enough, that say that. interestingly <laughs> enough, isn't it? The yeah. L. Ron Hubbard science fiction writer, for those that don't know. Yeah. Also the creator of Scientology. Exactly. His greatest sci-fi novel <laughs> to
0: date. It's most successful one, <laughs> arguably, yeah. So... But And so the thing is, right, uh, it's ridiculous when you see it, when you're just shown this, this whole story, that's ridiculous. And you go, well, why would anyone believe this? Well, see, the way it works is you aren't shown that whole story from the beginning. In the beginning, it's like, hey, you know, we're this organization, you know, we, it's about becoming a better person and being successful. We can help you. And you know we do this therapy and it's not a special therapy you know you have to hold these rods and we dial some you know twist some dials and stuff and and then you go oh yeah i feel a bit better and then it's like oh you know you can you can learn even more you know join this tier or whatever and then but then you have to you have to pay some money for example or you have to you have to be like you know you you can you can get the higher level of insider knowledge and insider treatment and whatnot but only if you come to the church regularly for at least a year you know so you have to make a commitment right and then you have escalating commitments like that so by the time you get to the ridiculous story or by the time the also the the ridiculous story will be unveiled bit by bit and by the time you see the full picture you've probably been in the organization for years you've spent loads of money with these people You've done all this stuff that at at this point to say, hold on, this is nonsense. And to walk out is much harder than just to say, yeah, I guess that's, that sounds good. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. You've invested too much.
0: You've invested too much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're not going to all of a sudden become critical of it
0: in an instant. Mm-hmm. So using the commitment bias, we've talked about commitment bias before, right? Probably my favorite bias <laughs> Um so I love you, how you have a favorite bias. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's my all time favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it is though, it is. It's amazing. So yeah, creating that commitment and basically tapping into commitment bias. That's a that's a really central part of the playbook. And that includes some other steps, or or there are other steps that are kind of related to this. And one of them would be to get people to actually let's do first to create a strong us versus them frame. That is just always going to happen. You have to create a strong us versus them frame. So you have to create a a very clear sense of this is us. And there's others which are outsiders and also there's others, there's the enemy. There's always us, we're the good guys. And outsiders, they're just, you know, in in the case of a cult, usually outsiders are just lost, right? But then the others, the ones that oppose us, they are the enemy. And if the enemy wins, that's usually the end of the world in some way. It's usually framed in such a way. It's not just like we kind of disagree with them, you know? It's not that we think the way they make pizza is wrong and the way we make pizza is tastier. No, no, no. It's like they are the enemy. And if we let them continue doing what they do, if we don't win this war, they will destroy everything that is good and holy. Hmm. That is how it's framed. And so you can see this, and this is unfortunately, uh, this is also an element in populist politics, which unfortunately we've seen a rise of, where it becomes a case of not we are all citizens of the same nation and we have some disagreements about how to run things. No, no, it's like it's us versus them. Like half the country are crazy, you know, um, evil people who are trying to destroy everything that is good in the world. And we have to defeat them. And, and the reason we're so the reason this happens in politics is because this is the kind of the lazy way to gain political power. You know, if you're sitting around talking about policy, who cares? And and it's hard to get votes. But if you say they are the enemy, we are the good guys, and I need your money and your votes, incidentally, in order to in order to save you, right? So strong us versus them framing is an important part
1: right so so far we've got uh increasing level of investment so if i wanted to create a cult, get a bunch of people and i'd uh i'd develop this sort of tier system mm-hmm. i'd also like with every level of the tier system i'd make them privy to a bit more in- information mm-hmm. you know but then always be teasing the oh, but you've not seen nothing yet Yeah. Yep. so i do that i'd also Um, develop an us versus them frame i'd need an enemy for sure of of some description and the stakes would need to be so high that you you this is the only option you have you need Mm. to invest in this or everything's screwed
0: yeah right okay Mm -hmm. cool that's that's a good start yeah that's a good start (laughs) and also you know talking about like getting people to make deeper and deeper investments like if you're thinking something like Scientology or other cults where usually one of the things is like people spend all their money or you know, they, they sacrifice all their money to this thing. And you think, why would you do that? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't the fact that you have to pay so much for another, another scrap of insider information, wouldn't that prevent you from doing it? No, 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 that's, that's a feature. That's not a bug. It's the fact that I have to keep paying more and more money that, gets me, that keeps me going. And this is even something that can be seen with like the whole fake guru thing. You know, there's, there's, well, there's fake gurus who will, for example, they're like, you know, day trading secrets or whatever. They say, I'm going to teach you the secrets of becoming a, a millionaire investor, or I'm going to teach you the secrets of whatever, you know, online marketing or, or being a high ticket closer <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, that was the one that got
1: me. <laughs> yeah. High ticket closer. <laughs> yeah. See, everything you just mentioned is, is, um, is basically how he got people because for those that for those that aren't aware, I got uh, stung by a like a one of these gurus that charges just thousands of pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he did basically the same thing. He had his inner circle. Well actually no, he had the um he had the academy, mm-hmm. which he got put into, which is just a Facebook group. <laughs> but then like you charged you would charge an exorbitant fee to be in the academy for in nine weeks mm-hmm. and then there'd be this inner circle and then the whole time in this Facebook group him and his other other coach are like hmm we're, we've we been assessing you based on your eligibility for the inner circle and we really think that mm-hmm. you know you, you have what it takes to be in the circle and they're framing this shit mm-hmm. like it's a privilege to be charged <laughs> like 15 grand for this inner circle yeah and then they frame framing it in that way. Well, I'm not sure about this, but you know, I've made an exception. Maybe, maybe you are fit for it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's crazy. And when you mentioned a little while ago about the the investment, some of the people who I re- I was in the academy with, I jump on calls with them and talk about it, and they'd be like, ooh, um, he's told me that I can join the inner circle, but it's like a 15 grand investment. I think I'm going to do it." And I'm like, "Why? Wh- what?" So for me, when it hit that point, because I'd not achieved anything, I was like, Well, I'm out. This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. There's a couple of people I spoke to who are like, Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do it because I've come so far already, and I, I just feel like I'm right on the precipice of like this success that I'm wanting, and all the other people in the inner circle are really achieving what I want and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like it just it reeked of denial. It reeked of denial and overinvestment and a bias, mm-hmm. the the investment bias thing. It just it reeked of that. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. it just it's, yeah. it seemed very culty to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're they're using the cult playbook essentially, whether consciously or not. They're using some of the moves right from the from the playbook essentially. Yeah. So that's one way to get people to make deeper investments. Another way is to get people to cut off contact with the outside world essentially. And this this is a big one for cults. So and this is why I talked about us versus them first. First, you have to establish there's us, there's them. Obviously, we're the good guys. You don't want to be them. But then there's, there's the other thing. Right? So maybe people around you are doubters, right? Maybe they're telling you, oh, why are you in this cult? Why are you spending all your money here? Why are you spending all your time here? This is nonsense. They're doubters. They are, and maybe they're even evil, right? They are trying to get you away from the light. Maybe they are seeing the potential in you and they're trying to keep you down. And you have to cut these people out of your life. This is exactly,
1: almost word for word, what he said to people. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. It's like uh, there'd be occasional Facebook post in there. They're saying, hey, I've spoke to my family about this and they're dissuading me from it. They're saying I'm being, you know, I've spent too much money on this and, and they're expressing concerns. And the overwhelming response from them would be, okay, these people, they don't see the world the same way as you do. They're stuck in scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. they uh, They're stuck working jobs they don't like and you're different. We're different here. Don't listen to them. Even though their own family yeah. you're referring to this. You know, it's like, yeah. don't listen to your own family. We like it's like listen to us more than your own family. Which is suggesting, like, we're your family now exactly. kind of thing. Which is really yeah. creepy.
0: Yeah. And this goes all the way to like literally cut off contact with everyone from your former life and come move to the compound with the guru, you know? Which is how some of the the cults kind of ended up, right? And um yeah, and, that's, and not only does that cut off contact from the people who are kind of um, um, like a, a moderating force in your life where someone can say, dude, don't, don't do that, that's stupid, right? <laughs> it's like that's one of the functions that, that a social group has is, is they, ca- they can basically keep you from doing something, from overreaching or doing something stupid. That can sometimes be good. And so it cuts you off from that, but also it's a further sacrifice, It's a further sacrifice where you can say, well, at this point, I've alienated my friends and family and left them behind and disowned them or whatever, you know, and I've given all my money and I've moved to a different country. It's like now you're so deep in. No matter how ridiculous the story is now, you're going to believe it.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because you've already, you've invested just so much.
0: And then another factor, and there's more, right? There's more, but one more factor I want to touch on is just hierarchy. There's usually a very clear structure of hierarchy like we've hinted at right there's like the inner circle and then the masters and the grand masters and whatever then the figurehead yeah and there's usually a figurehead who who is revered by everyone there's usually mythology about the figurehead and they have you know all kinds of you know they they make the blind see and the the, the crippled walk and all this kind of stuff right and there's usually also a very strong aspect of you can't question People higher up in the hierarchy, you know, if someone higher up in the hierarchy says something, you can't call bullshit on that because you just don't understand. You don't understand it. Like once you get to that level, you'll get it. And another thing that you mentioned, which I think also is, is worth highlighting, like this idea that you're you're always just about to turn the corner, and you keep people in that state. You're just almost, almost, almost right. That the the carrot of you dangle the carrot in front of people of everything you've ever dreamed of, the solution to all your problems, you're almost there. Just, if you just go one step deeper, give me a little more money, you know, commit a little harder, you'll get there, you know?
1: Yeah, that's exact, that was exactly the case. Yeah, it's just a little bit more money and you'll have all the clients in the world. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe you're right. but it's, it's just like, yeah. I got out of there before the inner circle. The nine-week thing.
0: That's good, yeah. Got-
1: the nine-week thing came to a close, and I realized all I was now was just broke and miserable and frustrated. And then luckily, the rational part of me was like, look, if you want to know where this is going, then where it, w- what's led you here has to factor into it somewhat. So it's like...
0: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that helped. But yeah, and, and it is important to understand, like everybody can be vulnerable to this. Mm-hmm. This, this can happen to everyone. You know, if you th- if you think like I'm a reasonable person, I have common sense, that doesn't mean that you can't be seduced into something like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's um, there's a, a great documentary called Wild, Wild, w- literally Wild, Wild Country, I think. Mm. And it talks about Osho. Mm-hmm. And uh, spiritual teacher Osho, I think he was around in the 70s and 80s, developed a following and created a commune in this place in rural America. And the, in the documentary, there's loads of Interesting interviews with people who, you know, they were hierarchically quite close to Osho, and some of some of them were extremely intelligent people, like professors, mm. uh, you know, scientists and stuff like that. And somehow they fell into this cult, and they don't know how. They don't mm-hmm. know how they, how that happened. It's like whoa. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um.
1: But fascinating documentary. I Highly
0: recommend you watch that. Yeah, let's link that in the show notes as well. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about my experience of, like, seeing an organization devolve into a cult.
1: Yes, let's let's do that. Now that I know where to get started mm-hmm. with how to form my <laughs> own cult, then, uh, yeah, I want to I hear how things at your martial arts school devolved. Mm-hmm. So maybe start at the beginning. So obviously it started off as just a regular martial arts school, nothing, mm. you know.
0: So nothing yeah. weird about it. I, I think so. I think that, you know, they're, they're probably the seeds of a cult were already there, right? But for sure, the, the, the main thing that changed is that in the beginning it was about self-defense. Like you went there if you wanted to learn how to defend, defend yourself from a potential attacker and that's what they taught. And they also had some other stuff like you could, they had a bit of like Tai Chi and stuff like that, which was like, oh yeah, it's healthy and whatnot. But it was really mainly about self-defense. By the end of my 10-year stint there. It was mostly about the health stuff. They they started neglecting the, the martial arts side of it quite a bit. They just And they emphasized, you know, oh, we're a health organization and whatnot. And it was just... It, it went from, like, the hard practicality of, we're going to teach you self-defense. Especially the teacher I had at first was really, like, kind of a hard dude, you know. was like, listen, I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself on the street, you know, no bullshit, this kind of thing. And they went from that and he left <laughs> and somewhere at the midway point of this development. <laughs> and, um, and they went from that to to being like, oh yes, you know, you have to align your chakras and energies and the incense sticks and holy water and God knows what, you know? <laughs> so the, that's a pretty drastic shift. to say, priorities. quite a leap. <laughs> yeah. <What> happened there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, and I think, so one of the things is, of course, this martial arts school had a founder who had started it all, and there were then several schools that were all, you know, following his system and so on. So right there, you have the figurehead already, and that itself is not necessarily a red flag. I mean, basically every organization has a founder, right? <laughs> but but it still it it shows you that like that seed there hmm. um, that can then where it can slip into that where he became like this revered guru by the end of it, you know. And. But it's also something, you know, maybe he was always a guru type. Maybe that was always going on. But in the first years, he just wasn't really a big factor. Like, if you were training there, yes, eventually someone would probably tell you, you know, this guy founded the thing and maybe tell you his story or whatever. But it wasn't It wasn't a big deal, you know. You could, yeah, you could be in that organization and, and rarely ever encounter anything about him, really. And towards the end, he was just more important and more emphasized and more often mentioned and so on you know got yeah
1: one of the questions i had from earlier was at what point did you start noticing things going off the rails like or like what what became apparent to you that things started or was it so gradual that eventually you were just like holy shit well what's going off here yeah or do you were there some moments where you were like hang on a minute what's happening here you
0: know what i mean it was it was gradual because what happened was that so? I have to say, I think I was lucky because, look, I was young. I don't think that I had great mental self defense at the time. But what I already had was a really strong, non conforming streak. Hmm. And I think that basically saved me from going along with them. Because what happened was that gradually I, I noticed things happen one by one that I kind of disagreed with. Or where I was like, okay, well, you do that, I don't care. <laughs> but you know, where I was I wasn't I wasn't on board with this stuff. But the thing is, because it happens gradually, I it it was the same effect as we talked about before. Like had I walked in on day one into the organization, it was 10 years later, I would have immediately turned around and walked down and be like, These guys are crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> but because it was happening step by step gradually that's the thing. There is never that point where you say, okay, now it's too much. Right. You know? It's more like at some point you look around and go, okay, hold on. What the fuck happened? <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Whereas, yeah, so it, that must explain how perfectly rational people yeah, get pulled into these things.
0: Yeah. And there's, so that's that's one of the lessons also I learned. See, this is why perfectly rational, sensible people can end up in a cult, believing all kinds of nonsense, and also in, in some cases, like, perpetuating nonsense and doing tragic things. Like, how does that happen? Because the thing is, on average, every person there was a reasonable person. And one thing you have to realize is, like, look, humans are tribal animals. And, we, and, and our social ties are really important. So you have this organization where the The guy at the top, like the, you know, the sifu of your school and whatnot, they're like bought in. They're generally really bought into the culty stuff. Most of the people training there aren't that bought in. But you keep going there because that's where your friends hang out, you know? You like the people there. And you like the it's a hobby. You like the hobby. And it's it's quite difficult. Or think of it like this it's quite a big leap to make and kind of a socially strange thing to do to just say, look, I have some ideological differences with what the head guy is talking about. And so I'm going to walk away from all of this. You know? But, like, we're friends, man. We're friends and we only meet here. And you're going to walk away from all this because he said something you disagree with? I mean, that's kind of weird, right? (laughs) So it really is like the, the... you know, boiling the frog effect, where it's just like, well, just because he said or did one thing I disagree with, I'm not going to walk away from all my friends and abandon my hobby. Mm. And then later he says another thing I disagree with, or they make another change. Where I'm like, well, pff, but again, I'm not going to walk away from all my friends because of this, and so on. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah that that make that makes sense. I mean, there, for, for some reason, there's two things that sprung to mind with that. Um, with with regards to things being a really, you know, we've been really social, tribal animals. Mm. On some level, this also can explain a part of why stopping drinking for an alcoholic is particularly difficult. Mm. Because if a person's drinking, unless they're just drinking at home in the dark alone, um, what's actually more common is that a person will have an ecosystem around their drinking, like a social a social um, climate that rewards that behavior. And if you stop drinking, you basically are saying goodbye to all of your friends too. Yeah. Which is another reason why it can be really difficult. Same with like being a stoner or something. You know, like you have friends who you smoke weed with, but without that, you're like, there's very little common ground anymore. So it's like, well, I don't lose all my friends in addition to this thing that I smoke and I feel good. it's Like, so, so no. So it's like the social, the fact that we're social and tribal can reinforce certain things that if, we, if, if the social element wasn't attached to that, we'd look at it and be like, well, what the fuck?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you, have a, you have a set of habits and a set of friends and stuff. And it's, you can't just walk away from that from, from one moment to the next, or it's difficult to do. And that explains how you can have a, a bunch of basically reasonable people end up in like a cult. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is also, there's, there's, you know, most people, if you kind of pulled them aside one of the one of the things was like with here's an example right here's an example of, of how things got strange at one point so there was you could they they at one point in the school they set up like this big water water filtration tank where the idea was you you know you you put water in and you could see like there was different layers of of minerals or whatever that it would filter through. And then, you know, the water that comes out of the bottom is better for you. That was the first water-related thing that happened. Now, as you can imagine, I was like, that sounds good to me, you know. Like, I don't know anything about water, but if you tell me the water goes through these things, it gets filtered, it maybe gets mineralized, and that's good for me. That doesn't seem ridiculous, right? That was the first water-related thing, not not just the no, no, only no. one. That was the first water-related <laughs> incident, okay? <laughs> but this shows you the, the, the boiling frog problem, right? Where, okay... So that happens and you go, okay, fine. And even there, if you, you know, if the, if the guru says, this is, you should drink this water. This is good for you. If everyone's standing in a group in the room and you ask, do you agree that this water is good for you? Everyone's going to be like, yeah, sure. If you pull someone to the side, individual and ask, dude, do you think this is good? They'll probably be like, yeah. Um, Some of them might be like, nah, probably it doesn't do anything. But publicly, you don't want to rock the boat, right? So you're not going to say that. Even if you're like, I'm not sure if this is useful. And also, it does no harm, right? It does no harm. So fine, we have a water filter thing. The next level of water-related thing was some guy, I don't know how this happened, but some guy came in at one point and gave this presentation about how some you know, reverse blah, blah, polarization of the water created triangular something and that's super good for you so this was a differently treated water that you could now buy relatively expensively and it was supposed to be better for you right and suddenly everyone's saying this is the water you have to drink and again you're like so at this point I'm like I don't know if that's true but I also don't know that it's not true and again it's just water who cares (laughs) right again a room full of people would all say yeah sure thumbs up on that Pull them aside, probably a lot of them would be like, I don't know about this, man. <laughs> but again, look, I don't care. I'm here with my friends. I'm doing my hobby. They're selling strange water. I don't care. Right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> In front of a room full of people, it's hard to be that one person yeah. when, when called out that just goes, This is, uh, to be honest, I think this is bullshit.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The third level of water. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is ludicrous. <laughs> it's almost like I'm forgetting you're even talking about a martial arts school right <laughs> exactly now. Exactly
0: right. This is a martial arts school. It's a good reminder. <laughs> so the third water-related incident that I'm aware of, this s happened, This happened after I left, um, but but one of my friends was still training there, and he told me about this. At one point, they had a machine that made holy water. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so, so at this point they're pouring tap water in one side of some machine and they're saying that what, what comes out the other side is holy water and they're selling that expensively and they, that's what you should be drinking.
1: They unironically used the phrase holy water. Yes.
0: yes. Okay, so and at this point... But see the, see the problem? At this point, you've already gone along with two levels of silliness. I see multiple problems, Shane. <laughs> 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 anyway, so at this point, you've already gone along with two levels of silliness. And for example, my friend who was still training there, he was like, of course, in private, he was like, this is ridiculous. But he was still training there. He wanted to finish his, uh, you know, his, uh, get his highest rank, whatever, before he got out. And then, of course, and they and the same thing happens. So this is kind of the devolution, right, or the deevolution, I think I should say, of of the water-based New Age beliefs. And similarly, on all other levels, the same thing essentially happened. They just went deeper and deeper into silly New Age stuff. And so this is how you end up. So you, so there is a slippery slope there, right? There is a slippery slope where, like, gradually. You've already said yes to this crazy water thing. That opens you up to also saying yes to, oh, this incense thing, you know, you wave it around in a counterclockwise thing in your room and it scares away the bad spirits or something. And, it, and gradually it gets crazier and crazier. And again, the, the organization doesn't fall apart because not everybody has to be agreeing with this. It's like, for me, I didn't go along with most of the new agey stuff. You know, I did. I was interested in like Tai Chi and, and this kind of stuff, and and I was interested in some of it, but I would say that most of it. I to say at least fifty percent of the stuff that they that they presented on the health front, for me it was just like no, this is this is nonsense. Even at the time, but again, I didn't immediately quit the organization because of this, um, and and so you can have a lot of reasonable people. Who collectively all agree like most of this is nonsense, but they're all contributing to and being in an organization that, prepared, that that pedals increasingly bizarre new age stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this this is reminding me of uh, my first year as a personal trainer. The organization I was with was your personal training, mm-hmm. and um, they 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 budded up with Herbalife. Oh God! <laughs> with uh, Herbalife, which clearly multi-level marketing scheme and uh the guys who were like were the, the the personal trainer managers were all talking about Herbalife even though the industry personal trainers had been any personal trainer with a sense of integrity was taking the piss out of Herbalife for ages right saying it was exploiting people who just were nutritionally ignorant of certain things, like basic shit and just couldn't apply it. People were looking for a magic bullet, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But these guys were all just like, right, guys. Like they, they, We went to a seminar, for fuck's sake, mm. where they were talking about how Herbalife gets people results. Look at all these testimonials. <laughs> Look, at these before and afters. Yeah. And not only that, it can make you loads of money. Of and of obviously, course. loads of new personal trainers. Like 19 years old, just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Not an ounce, not a shred of mental self-defense yeah. to rub together between any of them. It's like, it's 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 the same sort of deal. And there's there's like there was a hierarchy. So you had your PT managers, and you had your Herbalife sort of people who were sort of above them, and then you had your area managers, and it just it kept on going up. And then basically everyone was making more money the the higher you went up mm. the up the levels. And it was just, um, I've never made this connection before, but yeah, from everything you've just been talking about, it's the same. It was the same sort of deal, mm. although without the new agey water bullshit. But there was the kind of this, uh, you know, this 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 formula in this in this canister mm-hmm.
0: uh, improves your complexion and all this stuff. And like, there's mm-hmm. no research backing this shit up. Yeah, yeah. But um. So yeah, you can see, and it's interesting, right? Like, once you know about this stuff, you can see the aspects of cultiness. You can see them in. You can see them everywhere. <laughs> So it is it is interesting. So another point I want to get to and this I think this is really important because this is something you can see in other people, but it's also something to guard against in yourself. I think this is one of my biggest lessons that I took away from this is that one of the reasons people believe in in weird conspiracy stuff is that it's kind of a shortcut to make them feel smart and make them feel superior. And that's in general true for a conspiracy theory. It gives you the feeling that you have special insider knowledge that most people don't have. That makes you smarter than them. And that feels good. Yeah. And this is something this is something that's really important. Like because when it comes to health, the generally the authorities on health are highly trained professionals and researchers. It's like medical doctors, um, you know. Uh, medical researchers, this kind of it's 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 an elite. It's an elite. Very few people go through all the kind of work and learning needed to be able to get into a position of being an expert on the topic of health. And in this organization, you had people, and I could really see this in the in the higher ups, right in the SIFUs and whatnot, the kind of pride they took in feeling superior, to to doctors because and this is also an us versus them thing right where one of the ideas is that like you know mainstream mainstream medicine is bullshit you know they only treat the symptoms but not the root cause they don't get it the reason you're sick is because of mainstream this kind of thing right and think about it you know you can be you can be someone who all you did was you maybe maybe you read one new agey book, or maybe you just or you listen to you know, you watched some YouTube videos on, on some new age conspiracy health health theory. And now in this martial arts school, you're standing in front of a group of students who are all listening to you, and you're going, Ha ha, you know, the the medical establishment, they're all wrong. And here's the truth, and I'm gonna tell you the truth about what really matters and how you really can heal. And suddenly you have elevated your position. Like in an afternoon of research, you have gained the knowledge and I'm making massive air quotes here. (laughs) They Gained lots of air quotes, knowledge to to be a, a greater expert and a greater authority than someone who spent like a decade studying to become a medical doctor, right? Yeah. And that is like, there's just no, there's. That's not available in any other way. Basically, it's like this shortcut to authority, this shortcut to expertise, where with very little effort you can like leapfrog to the very top of world experts to 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 listen to. That just to me that just speaks to this desire
1: for status we have. Yeah. For yeah uh, for status within a given hierarchy, it reminds me of this. Um, this black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy who went around different Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools in the US to challenge black belts uh, who claimed to be black belts. Because sometimes he'd run into a black belt and he'd get twisted up and it would be like, okay, this guy's amazing. Mm. But a, sh- a shocking number of times, he'd, he'd go, okay, you're a black belt. Okay, let's let's have a grapple. And they'd just be so, they'd be terrible. Mm. And he'd, he'd basically pull, call them out on it. Mm -hmm. and put the name online and stuff and it was all on youtube and it's like what would cause a person to to want to it's the same deal it's like i'm gonna buy this black belt in secret and i'm gonna tell everyone just students that are trained under under this guy and i'm talking about and stuff so i've got a bunch of people looking at me and i can feel in some way superior Mm -hmm. but without putting the work in this
0: must be something really there's just something really appealing about that. Yeah, it's, it's seductive. I mean, I can understand that basically, you know. It's yeah, you you wanted the belt without having to build the skill, you know? And and yeah, like look, I'm I'm happy to say that I think I've or either I've never been interested in that kind of thing or I so, I'm somehow beyond that point but i think that's this is an example of moral luck you know like what did i do to to like to be so noble as to not want to cheat my way to to this kind of admiration or something i didn't do anything like this is just my default setting for some reason you know <laughs> i can't take credit for that and that's what i mean when i say like i understand this you know i i can see i can see what's seductive about this and i can i'm grateful that i don't have that I'm grateful that I don't have that's all I can say. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that I try to um it's also something I try to manage in my own in my own life like in myself. I try to make sure that I don't do things that like puff me up or make me look better than I am. And I and I try to proactively like if I see that someone got an impression of me that I think is is wrong skewing on the positive side. So if someone got you know if I feel like someone is revering me too much for example I try to correct that. I don't want to be like oh yeah but well, it's a freebie you know. It's like I didn't deceive them and it feels kind of good, you know. No, I want to I want to correct for that. I want to counter steer that because I don't want to I don't want to slip into that like I've seen people slip into that. These guys didn't start out like this, you know, and they didn't plot. They didn't plot and plan, oh I'm going to be the big guru and I'm going to do all this nonsense in order to get people to admire me. No, no, they slipped into that. Mm-hmm. and so and that's and i think again that's one of the reasons i'm grateful for having had this experience of seeing this from the inside because it it showed me things that i want to avoid like on the side of an audience right of the on the side of being the student in the crowd looking up at the guru but it also showed me things that i want to avoid in the position of guru and you know as, as someone as a content creator as a teacher that's the position i find myself in and so i I'm I'm grateful for that because it's given me like this awareness of of yeah, of this slippery slope where you can you can end up just like you can end up being the sucker in a cult, you can like end up being the guru in a cult,
1: you know? Yeah. And this this is something that as a as a coach, I need to be I'm quite mindful of myself. Cause occasionally you get people who just ask you for your opinion on stuff like and eventually that can devolve into someone asking you how they should live and stuff like that but if a person is sort of disempowered in that way and they're constantly seeking your opinion they eventually like seek your approval yeah it's like what's your opinion on this okay well if i I give you my opinion on that this is what i think you should do they'll go away and do it did i do well Mm -hmm. okay what's the next thing i should do and it's like look this is no longer a coaching relationship i don't know what the fuck this is i don't know what this is becoming (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's it's not what we it's not helpful for you as an individual, because mm. um, ideally, it's like I don't want to be responsible for anyone um, feeling like disempowered or feeling. Basically, I don't want to create any more sheep than are already. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't want to feed into that impulse in people than it already is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good. It's good to be aware, or you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware of it, otherwise, you can't prevent it.
1: There's something I wanted to mention um so you I, I like how you said it's a slippery slope mm-hmm. because for example on the acario team there's like some ideas that are central to sort of you and the way you are and the way you live and what you teach and stuff that on the team we've been internalizing and it's like so this is not a cult situation. Happy, happy to know yet. I so mean, we we're on <laughs> yeah. the way. I'm at this. I'm, Shane said it. Shane said before the podcast if I do well at this podcast, I'll be at that, possibly at the next yeah. level.
0: We'll be in a higher level than the other guys in the team. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> Shit. I hope I've done all right. <laughs> um, but it's like, so this is not a cult situation, but it's something that's providing value to people on the team and everything and, and whatnot. But it's like, I like how you said it's a slippery slope yeah. because. I'm I'm con- I'm convinced that if you create this situation if you intended to you could certainly ramp up the cult factor on this get more people involved and and create a situation like that
0: yeah you know yeah yeah and I think that if you yeah I think another thing is like if you have kind of a hole in your soul that that needs admiration <laughs> from people that would be very seductive to do you know if you or if you need that validation The idea that, oh, there could be more people who look to me and want to learn from me and stuff, you know?
1: It's crazy, isn't it, that? It's like you've got that hole in your soul. Let's say you have five people who look to you for admiration. It's like, hmm, this isn't enough. The problem is there's not enough people. That's the issue. How do you even make that conclusion? It's not like rather than saying, what is it about me that needs this? It's more like, hmm, I'm fine. I just need more of these people. And it's unconscious, me.
0: right? It's unconscious. I think for most people, that would be unconscious. It's just like, oh, this feels good. How do I get more of this? Mm. You know? So there's one more thing, one more lesson I want to pull out of this that I want to talk about. And it's the idea of post truth. So it's been said that we live in a post truth world where the idea is like, it doesn't matter anymore what's true because something can be true. So let's say climate change is real. This can be true, but it doesn't matter because you can be in a bubble of, you know, social media and media and friends and so on where it is considered a hoax. And the the fact of the matter doesn't matter, right? Because the information landscape we live in is post-truth. Truth doesn't matter. So, and this I think is true and tragic. And mostly Mark Zuckerberg's fault. No, it's not true. It's not, it's not him alone. But it, he has, he does have a lot to answer for. It's Social media has a lot to do with this. Um, and I think it's true, but also I think it's nothing new. So this, the capacity for like post-truth is definitely in us. And I saw it in this organization too. And so a very interesting example of this is, again, remember there's us versus them, Right. Every once in a while, someone would be like cast out of the organization. Eventually, me too, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, someone would, someone would uh, maybe one of the instructors or something would, would do something. They basically break with the organization and they'd leave the organization. And what would happen is inevitably, right after that happens, the story would be, well... They were never really that good. I always knew there was something wrong with them. You know, I always said that even if two weeks before you sang their praises, all of a sudden, no, no, I always knew they, you know, they were never really one of us. And I knew it, right? So you're just you're just blatantly rewriting history. And and it's clearly there, right? And it's also one of those things because it's like a, a loyalty test. If two weeks ago I said, this guy's our best instructor. And then two weeks later I go, I always knew this guy sucked because he left the organization. If someone speaks up and says, hold on, aren't you contradicting yourself? It's like, you're not loyal, (laughs) right? You're also an outsider.
1: How dare you question my authority? Exactly.
0: And in that sense, getting people to believe something that's patently false is also a further step of commitment, you know? Because you are doing something, you're, so you're making a greater commitment to this tribe, you're making a greater commitment to this cult by believing things that are blatantly wrong that other people, that outsiders would just be like, no, this is clearly wrong, you're an idiot. You're, you're making the sacrifice of being that person who's an idiot to outsiders, and that strengthens your bind into the cult further, right? Mm. And yeah, that's, that's just another thing that I thought is, is really interesting to see because this was also this was not done like strategically or consciously. That was just the impulse that they had was to cast people out like that and rewrite history about those people. And and again, most of this was just happening unconsciously. But once you once you know it, you'll start seeing it, hmm. and you start seeing like the manipulative power in it.
1: Well, yeah, it's one of these things that once you see it, you can't you can't unsee it. Yeah, you know, it's like the fake guru stuff. We've talked about that a lot and at one point i wasn't privy to the tactics they used now i can't not see them
0: yeah yeah which is also which is kind of my final point and conclusion here um is that we have to realize that this can easily happen and that there's many forms of this and there can be cases where really huge amounts of people fall into some kind of a cult. And I think it's a mistake to just think, well, they're all idiots or they're all malicious or something, and rather to understand the reality of this. So again, if we talk about something like QAnon, which seems to have loads of followers, the reality of this is that like people slip into this. And individuals, if you pull individuals to the side, many of them will be like, well, I'm not sure about some of this, you know. So the... It's, it's more complex than it seems. And, and just saying, well, they're all crazy is not very useful. But also to acknowledge that this is a solvable problem B- because you can build awareness about this stuff and you can create a, like, yeah, this mental self-defense where you see this happening. And you can, you can also create in the community that you build yourself, so in your social circles, in your teams that you build, whatever, You can have a culture that counteracts culty, kind of the cult playbook. And an example of this comes from also my experience with martial arts. So I was cast out of this organization eventually because I was going against the grain too much. Uh, One of the things like I, 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 at the time I didn't realize this, but I think this was the breaking point for them. I rejected their promotion to see whatever, to one of the levels, right? They were like, you're ready for this level. We're promoting you. And I was like, no. And they fought really hard. They really tried to force this on me. And I was just like, listen, for me, this rank represents a skill level and I don't have that skill level yet. And you can't... I'm not accepting this rank until I feel I'm ready for it. They absolutely hated this. And of course, this is completely sacrilegious because what I'm saying is... All the other guys who have this rank suck. (laughs) That's not what I meant to say, but that's what I was saying. I was saying your standard for this rank is lower than my standard for this rank. And therefore, some of the people in the organization who have this rank don't deserve it. That's what they heard, right? And this was was like the... I had many little conflicts before this, but this was the big conflict where they were like... (laughs) Yeah, they were basically losing their minds about this. And I was training outside of the school. I was training with my own friends and they got wind of that and they didn't like that either. And eventually it was just too much and I was the black sheep and I was cast out and I'm sure they said all kinds of bad things about me afterwards. Oh, he was never good. <laughs> yeah, of course. We we knew that he sucked. Anyway. <laughs> we we knew all along. We were just yeah. waiting for the moment. Yeah. This was a for, test. For 10 years. <laughs> yeah, we were waiting for 10 years to kick him out. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, seems likely. So... But yeah, so I I was cast out, but I was training with my own friends. And I tried to, this was my first experimentation with building a certain culture and my first success in inoculating a culture against one of the cult problems. So one of the cult problems is you can't question authority. And so often, and this, look, all I cared about at the time is martial arts. (laughs) And so for me, the reason I didn't like this is because it makes your martial arts worse. Hmm. If you can't question, you know, why are we doing this technique this way, then you know, yeah, if you can't ask questions about it, if you can't if you can't challenge what someone's telling you, then that limits your potential growth and learning. And that bugged me. And so in the group of friends I trained with. I was the I was the guy with the most experience there so I was often in a teaching role there. And we made it a rule and we reinforced this rule is that you can always always question what you're being told. Hmm. Okay? You can always question it. If I'm showing you a technique and you think, "Okay, you know, you're doing you're defending yourself like this, but what if I what if I kick you or what if I punch you differently or something?" You can always ask that. That's always a legit question. And I want you to hold me to the standard. Like I have to have a good answer. I can't just tell you, just do it because I said so, you know? Mm -hmm. So I want you to challenge me. I want us to challenge each other and I want us to have a culture where you can always question the person above you um, in authority, let's say, or in expertise. Yeah. And this was successful. In my training group, this became part of the norm. This became just a norm that you are always allowed to question and challenge and you will get questioned and challenged if you're teaching,
1: hmm. so and that,
0: that's one of the culture things, yes, that you can implement. And so, with that, and to me, that is like that's one of the solutions, right? That's that was like my pilot project. You can inoculate a culture against against these problems, because if you have, if that's one of the rules in your in your culture, it's much harder for someone to maneuver themselves into a "you can't question me" guru position. And it's much harder for someone to go, "Ooh, drink this magic water," because you have a culture. People have the instinct, the reflex of going, "Hold on, isn't that bullshit?" <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like um, almost holding truth is is like higher in in like the hierarchy. Truth is above anyone,
0: right? You yes. Know?
1: So even even the figurehead of any organization, like truth is is more important, mm-hmm. you know, as a value. Than anything he says, it's like, Mm -hmm. and no one is, um, no one can maneuver the way out of being questioned because obviously, if you're saying that truth is the most important thing here, Mm -hmm. yeah, try try and um, create a court out of people who are deep down committed to the truth, yeah, and finding it and expressing it and stuff. It's like, okay, I no, (laughs) I no longer have um, you know putty in my hands to work with.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, and to me, that is like, look, I. I thought this was an interesting story to talk about. I, I hope that this was interesting and, and fun to listen to, but also in a practical sense for me. The you know the big takeaway from this is that you can um, create this kind like you can you can teach people in your or you can create that culture in your social circle. You can do that with your family, with your kids, and so on. You can create like these habits and these norms that inoculate people against falling into a cult. And I think that's one of the things that we should do, that we should be invested in doing, especially if you're interacting with children in any capacity, whether you know as a teacher, as a coach, as a parent, whatever. I think that's one of the things that is worth doing is to think about, okay, I realize that everybody is vulnerable to culty stuff and conspiracy stuff. And now that you've listened to this, you understand some of the meca- the mechanisms of how it happens. And you can realize that you can inoculate people against this. And this is one of those things, you know, like the bottom line is, I'm trying to make the world a better place somehow, right? And this is one of those things that I just think that if the more people do this, the more people have this kind of mental self-defense, the better the world will be overall. Okay, this is the bit where we talk about something random. Okay, what's the random thing you've got for us today? So the random thing I have, actually I actually have to check my notes here. So. I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast, the episode with Richard Schwartz, which is called IFS, Psychedelic Experiences Without Drugs and Finding Inner Peace for Our Many Parts. Episode number 492. This was and this was a really interesting episode. So do you know about internal family systems, IFS? I know um, vaguely what the premise is.
1: I've mm. never done any... Uh, parts work any ifs stuff Mm -hmm. um the the men's emotional support group that i'm part of two of the guys there have ifs therapists Mm. because the guy that runs the call said that this this modality has some real power to it yeah um but he's not trained in it himself so he just sort of said go find a legit ifs practitioner and and it will it will work Mm. One of the guys has been doing it for a year and the change in him that I've observed is it's it's real.
0: Nice. Yeah, so this, for me, this episode was the first I'd ever heard of it. And as a very, very brief summary of what internal family systems is, it's like it tries to basically, you try to meet the different parts of you. And it's almost like you try to personify different parts of you. So it's In a way, like let's say you have some kind of behavior where you get um, you get outbursts of anger. You try to meet that angry part of you, and almost like who is that? And then you try to have like a conversation with that person, and you try to. So over the course of this therapy, like you like you pull out these different parts of yourself, and then it's almost like you have this family of parts of you, and you're trying to resolve the family conflicts. That would be like the super brief version of how this works.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of this, like IFS, the basic premise of it. I think I've found aspects of this in a bunch of different places. It's like one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Ramdas, we talked about this, about how um, your your various neuroses are like um, you know they're like kids in a family photo. Mm. You know, it's like you know, it's like in, include them all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not really going to go anywhere um, or, right, they, yeah. or they might it's up to yeah. them pretty much um, but yeah I've had experience with with this almost on an intuitive kind of level is having mm. a dialogue with different parts of you mm. I actually spoke to Gia the other day about this because mm. um, she mentioned IFS and I said that at one point I kind of did this almost by accident mm. so there was a time when I was working for someone. I had a, a boss who was just a bit of a bit of a dick. And he seemed to just enjoy the power he had over me. And there was one particular day where he, I don't know, he was just a bit more of an asshole than normal. And I would just sort of be people-pleasing and be like, oh, okay, no problem. And then just sort of take it on the chin. Mm. And um, I was sort of engulfed in a kind of rage like an internal internally directed rage um and i was having like thoughts of physically attacking him and i was like oh boy what's this about so i wrote about this and i just let i gave a voice to this part of me and the reason why i had confidence and courage to do that is because i i defined it as a part of me not who i was Mm. so i just wrote about it and it was just crazy shit that i wrote down But i also went one step further and I took out my ink, like I I used to paint like Zen brushwork. So I had I got a brush, black ink, and I painted what this thing was, and um, it was quite frightening how that's how it felt. Mm. So this thing had giant fucking teeth, and it had bright white eyes, and it was just screaming, and it wanted blood and chaos. And it wanted to inflict pain and damage. And it didn't care. It, was, it wasn't compassionate. It didn't give a flying fuck about anything else. It just wanted pure destruction and terror and all the bad shit. Um, and I, was, I painted it and I was like, wow, whoa. Okay, that's totally a part of me. Like, hmm. That's definitely a part of me. And from doing that, I kind of recognized that what I did was this, this thing also was trying to serve me. Yeah, in a way, it was in, in its in its own voice. It was basically saying, "How dare you let this asshole have power over you? Never fucking do that again! Don't you dare let him do that again." Kind of thing. It's like repressing my assertiveness meant that this thing had to posture far more than would it be healthy mm-hmm. to get me to pay attention to it. Basically, so I did that, but in the process of doing that, I also painted uh, the hero because uh, after that. I did the uh, I did this same thing the following day and I painted, I kind of impressed myself at how well I painted this thing because I'm not a particularly good painter. but I was just like, whatever. And it was like a knight who had shoulder pads and it's just the silhouette of a knight who has like a sword and for some reason is holding this, this orb. I don't know what the orb is <laughs> in his hand. Mm. It's just the hero. And it's almost like, wow, I painted two archetypal parts of me. Mm. And I looked at the hero and I was like, okay, yeah, that, that's a part of me too. There's a part of me that's got a sword, meaning he's not harmless. And he also has an orb that seemed like it illuminates darkness. As in like it, it, it makes the con- unconscious conscious or just li- lights the dark places. And it also has armor. And he also is not in an like, a aggressive posture. It's more like an honorable sort of posture, like he's humble. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's a part of me too. So I guess in an unconscious way, I kind of did IFS or did some parts yeah, yeah. work. So that's that kind of my limited experience with the premise.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I do think that lines up with with that kind of idea. Yeah, you're trying to meet these different parts of you, and and you're trying to make them more visible to yourself. And I do think there's also there is an intuitive way in which we can think. Okay, it does make sense that it's like you are different people at different times and in different contexts. You know, your your um, evening self and your Morning self, when the alarm goes off, often have disagreements with each other, right? About the priorities of the day. <laughs> yeah. And, and similarly, like, you know, your hungry self, your horny self, your angry self, they're all different. Sometimes yeah. very
1: different. They, d- they have different motivations. Yeah. They have different yeah. ways of achieving their goals. The subjective experience of being these different things yeah. is is, is fundamentally different.
0: Yeah. different. Exactly. And yeah, and so I thought it's really interesting that there's a framework that really goes deep into this. And I listened to this episode, which I recommend, and we we'll, you know, we should link to that too. Um, really recommend listening to this episode. And what I basically just did, I listened to this and I thought, well, this is really interesting. And I simply tried to replicate what they were talking about in this episode in writing mainly. And it was, it was really impressive. It was really impressive mainly because, and I say this, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, is like I'm usually a non-responder or very weak responder to things. So, and that seems to be a general rule. So to all kinds of things, you know, if someone goes, "Oh, I did this meditation and it was just amazing and my whole body was buzzing and so on, almost guaranteed if I do the same thing, nothing happens. Uh, or even medication, you know, painkillers. I can take painkillers. Basically nothing happens my pain level doesn't change, you know. And it really is very widely true. It's also, for example, coffee. You know, I drink coffee. I I can't tell the difference in my reaction between caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee. It feels the same. So, in general, I'm quite used to trying things and nothing happens. And with this, I tried this out and it really felt like something was happening here that was different. You know? It felt like this is different from a usual writing session because I'm following this system. And yeah, it was just really interesting, really worthwhile. And I basically just wanted to highlight that to to tell people, hey, go do that. What uh, what did this writing session entail? So in writing, I tried to, yeah, basically I tried to replicate it. They basically go through um, a, they give a demonstration of what a, se- a therapy session, an IFS session would look like. And I tried to replicate that. And so I tried to think about like who are these parts of me, and I tried in writing to, um, basically to ask them, uh, you know, to have a almost have a dialogue with them. And the most fascinating thing that happened for me was that some memories came up that I hadn't thought of in ages, and that really suggested to me like something is happening here where somehow the process of of identifying and personifying a part of me and kind of asking it a question and waiting for an answer made a memory appear that if you had asked me about this i couldn't have recalled it was in this specific context some ancient memory came up you know to me that was the most amazing thing where i was like oh okay something's happening here you know hmm yeah all right well that yeah that makes sense
1: I mean, were you. Were you uh, is there like a written sort of
0: step-by-step step for this that we can link to? or No, I would just just link to the podcast episode because, and you know, you can try to wing it. Like, I've done stuff like this quite a lot, so I felt like I can just give this a try. But they also recommend like books and courses and stuff. So I think anyone can listen to this and decide, do I want to just give this a shot or do I want to contact the therapist or do I want to read one of these books? I basically just wanted to mention this because I think it seems to me that it's worthwhile to pursue and this is something I want to explore more of as well.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think,
0: I'll, uh, I think I'll join you on that. Nice. All right, so link to that in the show notes as usual. All right, with that, thank you for listening. First time I've talked about my experience with cults. I hope you found that entertaining. You can uh, look at the episode description to get the link to the show notes. And you can go to ikario.com, that's ikario with a k.com, to get all our stuff, read our blog posts, buy our things if we're selling anything at the time. And you can, what didn't I say? Oh, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash ikario to leave us a voice message.
1: What Shane meant to say was join us <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can sign up to the inner circle for only $15,000 a month <laughs> you're just on the precipice yeah. you, just
1: by listening to this podcast you know you've you've you're getting there but you're not quite there yeah. yet
0: you're almost there you could be like once you really commit with your wallet then everything will be better by the way we're all uh, aliens trapped
1: in human bodies no, don't <laughs> t- don't tell them that yet. Oh shit! <laughs> Once you get on in the inner circle.
0: <laughs> All right. See you guys. See you guys next time.
1: See you next time, guys. Take care.